Was there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what? This is actually our 80th Greek call. We're going on two years now. And uh, our, our dire mission, <clears throat> should we accept to, uh, should we uh, decide to accept it is to save American democracy. We are well aware, a very small task, we are well aware that Steve Bannon has a very clear plan to take over the election apparatus one uh, precinct at a time. And he has issued a call for extreme right wingers to go into the grassroots, into the counties, into the localities, the precincts, and to take over the secretary of state offices so that the uh, far right Trump cult will have the, an iron grip on the electoral process. And uh, we are, this is the launch today of, a, of a, a clear process to get as many people as possible into the local election boards to prevent this <clears throat> essentially fascist coup. We don't wanna go into the 22 and 24 elections with the right wing <clears throat> who have no scruples uh, whatsoever in total control of the election boards. We've already had instances of threats of violence, death threats, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> this is what happens when a militia decides to take over the electoral process. The big picture, which I'll do very quickly, and I've incorporated into uh, my new book, The People's Spiral of U.S. History, which I'm actually finishing after 52 years this coming week. Um, um, I set out when I was a very humble 20-something to write a history of the United States back in 1970. So that's 52 years ago. I'm actually finishing up now. And the, uh, anyone who wants a copy of that, by the way, I'll send you a free PDF. Write me at solartopia at gmail.com. Solartopia, S-O-I-R-T-O-P-I-A at gmail.com. And the, the mega analysis is this, and this is the uh, uh, platform from which we're operating. The United States is now 50%, counted 50% millennials and Zoomers. And the millennials and the Zoomers, people born after 1981, under 40, um, uh, voted more than 60% in 2020 to get rid of Donald Trump. This, these are clearly the two most progressive, most racially diverse, most sexually diverse uh, generations in American history. And they are about to take over the country. And, they, and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump and the rest of that cohort know that if they do not shut down democracy, they are out forever. These, the evangelical movement, the core of the right wing in this country has dropped by 50%. They are now the oldest cohort in the entire religious uh, pantheon in the United States. The average age of an evangelical now is pushing 60. And, but the average age of the unchurched is in their 20s and 30s. It is the biggest cultural shift in American history, even bigger than what happened in the 1960s. And in order to preserve any kind of power, the right wing in this country cannot allow democracy to proceed. Uh, Donald Trump said it based, you know, the 2020 election, which was basically turned on paper ballots, which were won by the election protection movement. Donald Trump came out and said, if we ever have another election like that, no, no Republican will ever get elected to office. So we are, the, our, our mandate, our goal right now in January of 2022 is by November of 2022, to at least be able to say that we have a reasonable control over the democratic process at the basic grassroots, at the precincts, in the counties, in the Secretary of State's office. Because if we don't, we, don't, we will not have a democracy. They are very clear about that. And the two major issues that uh, we need to win outside of actual election protection, you have dealt with one of them, which is universal health care. Universal health care is the number one source of economic insecurity in this country, as well as health insecurity. If we can get universal health care, we'll go a long way to solving many of the economic problems of individual families. And the other piece of it is renewable energy. Renewable energy, the conversion to 100% solar and wind and tidal and geothermal, all the other good stuff, batteries and, and LED is absolutely essential as we know to solving global warming, but it's also essential to the health of the economy and the future of employment in this country. So we, that is what we're working on. Uh, we, we, are, uh, we need everybody 
all hands on deck to go into the election boards. And we're organizing that uh, as we speak. My co-host, Joel Siegel, has been absolutely essential in putting this movement together. And let me run through the, uh, the uh, run of show here. So we have as, as many of the truly top heavy hitters as we could possibly get uh, to, to talk to us about the election process. One of them, Robert Wilson, has just joined us. So we're going to start with the great Alan Minsky and Mimi Kennedy. They're going to do a, uh, a tap dance for us, a Burns and Allen routine. And the two of them, we're really uh, glad to have, <laughs> have Joel, uh, have uh, Alan and, and Mimi together with us, two greater people we could not have to open up. And then Joel Minsky, uh, Joel Siegel, my uh, former uh, uh, chief of staff for John Conyers, author of the Affordable Health Care Act, is going to come on and he will uh, uh, take, take the reins and introduce the great Andrea Miller, who is pioneering democracy centers, followed by James, uh, by Ray McClendon of the Atlanta NAACP together. Uh, uh, they won, they really made possible what we called the Georgia miracle and now the Georgia way. I'm sure you many of you are familiar with that. They will be followed by the Reverend Rodney Sadler that, and then the great uh, two-term mayor of Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, Jennifer Roberts, who's now with the Carter Center, which is a hugely important piece of the election protection uh, uh, puzzle. Christian Nunez, the president of the National Association for Women. And then we'll be followed by, she'll be followed by Tatanka Bricka, who was uh, at the core of both solar and election protection uh, organizing in California. And he'll bring on Danny, Danny Sheehan and Sarah Nelson uh, of, the, of the Romero Institute uh, and Lori Passante, who's doing incredibly or, um, part, important organizing in uh, central Pennsylvania, central California. At the top of the hour, uh, we will go with Mike Fox, your, uh, who, who, with whom you're all familiar, followed by Robert Wilson, the former uh, ass ass Assistant Secretary of State of North Carolina, James Fukuda, one of our great organizers, truly a, an amazing guy in New York City. Um, uh, Danny Goldberg, a, a legend who you've already heard before, uh, who brings us uh, deep expertise from the music industry, as well as groups like the American Civil Liberties Union and, and uh, Air America Radio. Kenny Bruno uh, 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 of the Cloud Mountain Foundation. John Brakey, one of our great heroes uh, on election protection in Arizona, who made such incredible strides, really a major, had major impact on American history in terms of election protection, followed by Jan Goodman, who is uh, with uh, uh, the Pacifica Radio Network, uh, uh, representing the majority of, of the listeners at Pacifica, and she will uh, uh, join us to explain Pacifica's role in the uh, alternative media. So it's a full boat. Everybody is going to get five minutes. Danette is going to be our timekeeper, and she's probably telling me I've already gone over my five minutes. Yeah, that's okay. You're entering, so you're all right. So, yeah. So, so um, um, <laughs> uh, it is an incredible, incredible lineup. Uh, Steve or Mike, if you can put the run of show in the chat, that would be great. We expect to go just under two hours, and after which we will have an hour of kibitzing. We will not, unfortunately, take questions as we move through the program, but we will have a full hour at the end uh, for kibitzing and, and asking questions as we go along. So thank you for my, very much, Alan and PDA, for allowing us to piggyback on with your fantastic constituency. And now, Alan, I'm going to turn it over to you. And I will tell you, Alan, by the way, you may not know this, but the Rams are beating uh, Tampa Bay 20 to 3 in the third quarter. <laughs> go ahead. Um, thank you for that update, uh, sports. Alan, update. sorry, just really quick. I um, I just want to clarify that we're doing three minutes instead of five. Can someone clarify that for me? No, I've got five. Well, I'll be five, I'll be relatively I've, brief. I'll be relatively brief, okay. and and, and, well, pass you're, and you're going to introduce uh, the great Mimi Kennedy. Lucky you. Yes, and I, I imagine, however, that she can tap dance. I cannot, um, <laughs> but I'm happy to try to tap dance with her and. Uh, um, it'd be a little bit like the tap dance in Young Frankenstein because I don't think I could really hit my marks. But then again, in Young Frankenstein, the guy did. So there you go. So um, um, yeah, I want to just say, obviously, I think we're at a to total point of crisis in uh, not just American democracy, but democracy globally. Uh, I myself found myself, you know, there was some great eloquence on the Senate floor the other day uh, from Senator Sanders, Senator Warnock. But in balance, I've been pretty darn frustrated, no surprise here, 
with the Democratic leadership and how they've uh, presented this to the American people. Look, yes, there are these horrible um, legislative efforts across the country where the Republicans control state legislature, in particular states where they control the legislature and the governor, really perverting the democratic process through bills that they're passing, restricting access to voting, knocking off the rolls, and even trying to control uh, who gets to be declared the winner, uh, possibly irrelevant of the actual vote count uh, statewide, and of course from local precincts too, where this incredible effort comes directly into play. But boy, oh boy, did they fail to just knock home what's going on here. Look, the, the nominal head still of the Democratic Party is the recent president who is declaring that he's going to run again in 2024, remains the prohibitive favorite to get that nomination. So one of the two major parties in the United States, the leader of which was just telling secretaries of state, steal these elections for me. I mean, that's pretty much when you have that a situation where that's Republican Party policy. So we know what's going on. American democracy is under threat by basically a party that sees itself as having the right to have minority rule. Well, we've seen that throughout American history and throughout much of the history of liberal Republican democracy, only with really the expansion of uh, the franchise to the full population uh, in um, from the mi middle parts of the 20th century forward. So this is a fight that we should be familiar with and call out what is clearly an anti-democratic tendency on the American right that needs to be defeated and the mobilization of the American people should be done with as much energy and passion as possible. Secondarily also absent from this is, look, you can't have an oligarchic economic distribution of power and have a democracy. Uh, that kind of economic uh, distribution of wealth in the society and democracy are like oil and water, they don't mix. When you get to the situation we get to after 40 years of neoliberalism, where you have so much in such a materialist society, so much economic power concentrated in the hands of the fuel. Who do we think are funding this Republican effort at the local election level, right? It's our, our wannabe oligarchic leaders, the Koch brothers, et cetera, with their network of overly massively well-funded think tanks driving uh, the whole mobilization. So we have to be cognizant of that to understand how dire the threat to democracy is here. And of course, this is reflected across the world where we see uh, the consolidation of power by autocratic, anti-democratic rulers who, by the way, get into power by initially winning elections and then dismantling uh, the democratic apparatus in their states from, from Putin to Modi across the world. It is a, and Bannon is, by the way, yes, Harvey is correct to point to him. He's very central in all of this around the world networking with these other right-wing autocratic efforts. So this is a really dire and uh, existential threat to American democracy. And we are the champions of democracy. We have to bring that message to the people who overwhelmingly want to live in a democratic society. And we have to build a massive majoritarian movement to protect our democracy. And I really thank everyone on this call, Andrea, Harvey, Joel, just everybody here for doing all that they're doing in uh, creating this movement that we are absolutely thrilled to have joining us with PDA today on our uh, national town hall. And with that, I wanna, um, just so honored to introduce Mimi Kennedy. And within the ranks of PDA from our founding, um, Mimi Kennedy has been as focused a defender of democracy and understanding the nuances of how our system operates, bringing forward always the necessity of protecting the sanctity of the vote uh, she has been tireless in her efforts to elevate this, this, these issues among the progressive left. And she is, of course, just a true champion of, of everything that is uh, you know, good about uh, politics of inclusion and of uh, you know, shared uh, democratic power across the society. So it's a tremendous honor to uh, introduce um, Mimi Kennedy, who is uh, herself on the board of Progressive Democrats of America. Mimi, take it away. Okay, thank you, Ellen. I wanna, thank you, Ellen. I wanna put on my Gracie voice. All right, um, I don't, I, I uh, prepared to come to this. I don't like to have people's attention without giving them something that they can take away as a tool uh, because we still need workers. But there is something that I wanted to do, which is um, this guy with this podcast, he has a picture of Mary. That's the, that's a Mary, you know, for us Catholics, big deal. Uh, as being assumed into heaven. Well, I was named after Mary. So, uh, you know, you don't get this. I'm sorry. This, if you're separating children from their mothers at the border 
and you're not allowing children to be fed and you're not allowing their families to make a living so that they can be nurtured. Okay, to prepare for this, I called Andrea Miller. I'm so glad she's on the call. Uh, Reverend Terrence Dix down in Georgia, who's on his election board down in Georgia or was. Um, Emily Levy, who is uh, leading scrutineers.org. And that is one of the uh, URLs that Emily, I would love you to put that in there because I'm gonna suggest that people stay in touch with you for the tools for 2022, for what's coming up. And of course, John Brakey, and you'll be hearing from him later. So the question I was supposed to answer is, you know, do the voting machines threaten us in 2022? Um, well, to some degree, but not as much. We have paper ballots. You know, we're playing catch up. 2002, the Help America Vote Act, after that election of 2000 that put in George Bush and Dick Cheney and allowed a war to happen and allowed one of the first big legislative initiatives to pass, which was Help America Vote Act, put in digital voting machines, won't it be wonderful? for everybody. So we're playing catch up from 2002, but we got the paper ballots back and you can tell how annoying that is to the GOP by how hard they're stopping mail-in voting, which is a definite paper ballot, early voting, which is a definite paper ballot. They want us all to vote still on some machines and there are those who think that you can um, mess with the count and you can, but at least we always have the paper ballots proven in Georgia and in Arizona where they went stolen election. It's funny, the GOP is using old language that we used to use when elections could be stolen because there was no paper to count and there was nobody who could get inside the digital and find out. So they use that language. It's not applicable, it's wrong. We had paper ballot counts, we proved them wrong. So you can see now they're gonna suppress the vote and they're gonna suppress it in minority communities and anywhere that they know isn't Republican and where the majority is Democrat or minority community or people of conscience, then they're gonna gerrymander so that they have their people everywhere and they're still using religion to co make a coalition of their people. All right, Andrea and Terrence both told me about the election boards that Harvey is saying, let's get on election boards. I know that's hard. Sometimes the Democratic parties and the Republican parties get to a point who's on a county election board. What do these election boards do? I asked Terrence Dix, who was on one in, in Richmond County, Virginia. He went, oh, things like set the polling places, set the time and place of voting, investigate uh, claims of bad things happening, and look at fitness to run for local seats, who they can vet the candidates and look at their fitness. They have a lot to say in local elections and you can see the GOP moving into county elections and state assemblies and senates. So we uh, want to see if we can get on election boards. Scrutineers.org is got 900 people and they know about local stuff and Emily told me yes we might be able to be an ombudsman for people who want to do this. It's going to be hard research. What does your state say? What does your county say? But it can be done. Election boards. Okay. Um, John Brakey will talk about how he has, in the courts, succeeded to get ballot images as well as paper ballots to be counted so we have a redundant... Hey, Amy, uh, yeah. just one more minute for you. Thank okay. you. Okay, thank you. So uh, that's just about it. I really wanted... Uh, John will talk about Audit USA, which I think we should follow. Emily and scrutineers is actually equipped with working activists who might be able to help you find out whether in Illinois or Utah, Oregon, Wisconsin, can you get on a county election board? What would it take? Does the party still appoint you? Some of the states are changing the law, wouldn't you know? They're taking it out of the hands of the political parties now. And they're saying, we'll give the county board of supervisors the right to appoint their election board and decide everything. And then of course they feel they can control those county board of supervisor races because they're often only paid attention to by people who can win money on contracts. And the rest of the people are going, I don't even know my supervisor is. So, that's what we're looking at. We're playing catch up, but we have the paper ballot. And now we need to stand in solidarity and make sure that we can all vote. And uh, PDA is here to help. And we know that they're anti, uh, they're it's racist. There is a lot of white supremacy. There's a lot of false religion. There's a lot going on. And I wish our party were better at messaging against that because they're so polite. But anyway, I'm out and I want to thank you very much. Okay. Mimi, you're spectacular. Uh, Mimi is one of the great actresses of our time. I'll never forget seeing her in uh, Midnight in Paris. 
uh, and, uh, and, and your activism is just spectacular. And you hit it right on the head. Uh, Emily Levy is with us. We will have her. Uh, we meet every Monday. Remember, regularly our GREET meetings are on Mondays. And Emily, if you can come on a week from Monday to explain further what you're doing, that would be great. It's my honor now to introduce the great Joel Siegel, my co-conspirator on this. Uh, in, in 2004, when we showed that the Ohio election was stolen, Joel was the aide to John Conyers, who set up a hearing. And uh, we, it was our first meeting. I actually sat next to Bernie Sanders. And, if you, and as Mimi says, we have paper ballots. It only took 20 years to get them, but we got paper ballots. And if you think that activism doesn't make a difference, remember that if it wasn't for paper ballots that we won over 20 years, Donald Trump would be president for life. And we would all be on our way to Dachau. So there you go. Joel Siegel, I can't say enough about you. You were one of the great organizers of our time. These calls would not be happening without you. Uh, uh, take it away, my man. You have Joel, some really amazing people to introduce. Just real quick, five minutes. I'm going to give you uh, one for one minute warning, and then I'll do the timeout when you're all done. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Danette. Hi, everyone. Um, I am so honored to be on this call. I'm one of the co-founders of Progressive Democrats of America because of Mimi Kennedy. And, um, and please see the movie In the Loop. It's one of the best comedies that you'll ever see that Mimi stars in. Um, I wanna thank the great Alan Minsky, who really, when Tim parted, Alan has shown such incredible leadership with bringing progressive Democrats of America to the whole next level. Uh, Mike Hirsch, who's been terrific, uh, both with you know, the election protection movement and PDA, but also I'm, I'm, the, I'm the author of the bill, Medicare for All, that John Conyers, it was his most important bill. PDA, Dr. Bill, Dr. Lighty have kept this movement alive. I grew up uninsured. Please continue to work on Medicare for All because private insurance sucks and we need to get rid of it. Thank you. Um, so basically what I'm going to do is just give a few thoughts about what it is that we're going to try to accomplish today. I'm going to be uh, brief. First of all, um, PDA was so integral in the funding of very important black community-based GOTP organizations in Atlanta, in the state of Georgia and Florence, South Carolina. Your contributions helped to elect two democratic senators in Georgia and a progressive African-American slate of local and state elected officials in South Carolina. Thank you, PDA. Uh, the Grassroots Election Protection Coalition, we meet it's almost been two years now, every Monday from 5 to 7 p.m. We've been bringing activists from the election protection movement, social justice together, and we are going to fight to the death um, far right wing Jim Crow authoritarians who are hell bent on stealing our elections, and we're not going to let them do that. Um, one of the things that the Greek calls have been very successful at doing is bringing people together who probably wouldn't be working together. There's been a book written by Stephen Rosenfeld um, that explains the Georgia miracle. How, and Ray McLennan is gonna talk about this very shortly. How in the world did Georgia elect a progressive Jewish Senator and a black Senator uh, in a red state? Well, Ray McLennan will tell you how we did that because he was the architect of that strategy. We, th this book that has been written on the Georgia way, we're going to distribute this to black community organizers and Democratic Party operatives in the Southern Crescent states, but we need more funding to do so. We're working on a documentary on the Georgia way so we can explain to those in the Southern Crescents and in the swing states, the Georgia miracle. Um, GREEP also has created the new Progressive Action Coalition. It's a very exciting concept. We're uniting progressives in 435 congressional districts and 50 states. Alan Minsky and PDA are the co-founders of this. Alan Minsky asked me when he became ED to help diversify PDA. And Alan, I was a very good student. <laughs> We're well on our way uh, to doing that. We know that the right wing voter suppression movement is united and well-funded. They have Fox News, members of Congress, Supreme Court members, the Heritage Foundation, state and local elected officials, officials united 
in a coalition meant to steal our democracy. We have to stand together in solidarity where we all move in rhythm. We have to coordinate our work and be politically and strategically coordinated if we're gonna defeat right-wing authoritarianism. And I hope that PDA will consider conducting some kind of town hall meetings every you know, few weeks to grow this movement before it's too late. Um, we've also established a Every Voice, Every Vote Foundation chaired by the great James Fukuda. We are raising money from the grassroots civil society organizations and philanthropists to fund primarily black, um, Native American and Latinx, get out the vote movements, which the Democratic Party fails to fund because they wanna run television commercials, which are a failure. That's not how you win in elections. You gotta fund people doing the GOTV in the black community. And this foundation is going to do that. I'm gonna conclude by saying that my grandparents and great grandparents came to this country to escape the czars in Russia who were conscripting young Jewish men into the army, sending them to Siberia where they would be killed in pogroms. My family did not move to this country in order to have a repeat of the fascist authoritarianism of the czars. And guess what? We're moving in that direction. We must stop this authoritarian right-wing Trump movement. There are more of us than there are of them. As the Doobie Brothers once sang, we need to take it to the streets and the Swedes. Thank you very much. I hope I didn't go over my time. Harvey, you're on mute, buddy. Is everybody on mute? Joel, Joel thank you very much. Uh, I must say you're looking very natty today. Uh, it's the first time I've seen you in a suit. You will now please <laughs> Uh, introduce uh, the great Andrea Miller and the great Ray McClendon, who have been at the core of the exactly the kinds of grassroots democracy center uh, uh, personal uh, campaigning that, that we need to take it to the next level. Uh, we do know we have the numbers. We got to get them to get get them to the polls, get their votes counted, and uh, that's how we keep our democracy. So go ahead, Joel. Please introduce Andrea sure. and Ray. Uh, I am honored to introduce. My friend, my sister, the great Andrew Miller, executive director of Center for Common Ground and People Demanding Action. And as everybody knows on this call, Andrea has created a ingenious concept that she has moved into reality called democracy centers, which many of us feel like are the future of democracy and, and, and are going to make sure that we actually have a democracy. So welcome, Andrew Miller. I'm gonna ask you two questions and then you can answer whatever question that you want and then add any comments that you want to. And we're asking that uh, people go five minutes, but you will not receive a hook if you go over six or seven. All right. So Andrew Miller, tell us about the democracy centers and why they are so important to maximize voter turnout in black communities. You know, you were very involved in the Virginia governor's race. How did the democracy centers help improve black voter turnout? And what are the lessons, Andrew, that you think we must learn from when McAuliffe ran against Yunkin? The floor is yours. All right. Now, what I did was I made a presentation and I am going to go through that presentation in lightning speed. But if you want the presentation, I will figure out a way to get it to you. So let me find it. All right. I've got it. And let's share the screen and then we are going to move through this. So democracy centers, I'm going to give you a little bit about Center for Common Ground. This is our democracy center in Hawkinsville. Democracy centers work with the needs of the community and they also help the community to vote. 
Now, if you're not familiar with Center for Common Ground, we run the Reclaim Our Vote campaign, which is our elections tide. We have democracy centers all throughout the South. Why are we in the South? Because there is no Southern state Hear these words again. There is no Southern state that has less than 20% BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color. The state of Georgia is 39% BIPOC right now. So that means if we turn out a community of color vote, which normally does not get turned out, we've got a good shot at winning the election. Now, our mission, we educate and empower underrepresented voters in voter suppression states to engage in elections and advocate for their right to vote. Together, we can build a democracy that prioritizes the voices of all people. We are a community of color organization. Our board is community of color led and we have a working board. In 2020, oh, I'm missing uh, a really fun slide there. We have 44,000 volunteers because we have a number of national faith partners, Religious Action Center on Reform Judaism, you, you, the vote. What you can't see here is what we did in 2020 with 44,000 volunteers. We sent 9.4 million postcards to voters. We made 1.7 million phone calls and we sent 2.9 million text messages or 14 million voter contacts. We're going to need to do 20 million voter contacts in order to achieve the results we want in 2022. Where are democracy centers? You're going to find them in BIPOC communities where normally 55% of the eligible voters no longer vote. They're registered, they can vote, they just don't. Democracy centers are year round. They don't just show up at the time of the election and the day after the election, they're gone. Now, where are our democracy centers? We have them in urban areas. We also have them in rural areas. Again, we are looking for large populations of community of color voters who have stopped voting. Now, what do they do? What is the goal of a democracy center? To convert low propensity voters to voting rights activists by helping communities identify their pain points and then start working on the solution. I think we are all getting tired of every year we have to do the same thing over and over and over again. That's the idea behind democracy centers. They go in people that are part of the community, engage the community, and they get people working on voting. We are a data-driven and community-centric organization. The democracy centers are place-based. Hi, and we, Andrea. Oh, all right, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. How, do we, how do we get in touch with you, Andrea? Can you put your um, out in the chat, please? Yeah, I'll put my, my contact information in the chat. And we will continue having you on our Monday calls because you are at the core of this incredible grassroots strategy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Joel, all you, bro. No, um, just briefly, Andrew, what are the most important lessons learned about the Virginia governor's race? get a better candidate, one who's actually willing to campaign. <laughs> All right, Virginia is not representative of what is going to happen in 2022. 
we had a candidate that didn't bother to run for office, that could only talk about himself and what he had done in the past, did not look to the future and never addressed kitchen table issues. It's pretty basic. Well, thank you very much. I think one thing we've learned is that unlike the Democratic Party kind of elites and consultants who say that Democrats should run as moderates to get the moderate Republicans to vote, it seems that progressive candidates are winning elections everywhere. And we need to remember that. So thank you, Andrew Miller. And I look forward to more presentations from the Democracy Center so people can really understand the genius and what you created, because I think it's an historical step forward. Okay, so next, we got Ray McClendon. Ray, are you with us? Here. Brother Ray? Hey, that's a handsome dude. Hey, Ray. How you doing? First of all, we're honored to have Ray McClendon, the political action director of the NAACP um, in Atlanta, Georgia. That's kind of a big deal, political action director of NAACP. Ray organized 19 NAACPs across the state of Georgia and with Reverend Gerald Durley was one of the main architects of the Georgia way. Under Ray's leadership, there was the, probably the largest turnout of black voters in the history of Georgia. And first of all, Ray, it's an honor to have you. I've just got a few questions that I'm gonna ask you. Ray, can you explain how you helped spearhead one of the most successful black voter turnouts in Georgia political history during the 2020 election in Georgia, what are the lessons learned from the Georgia miracle model? What is relational organizing and why must we do it and replicate it in every Southern Crescent state and the swing states? And how are you gonna get the funding to do this? Ray, the floor is yours. Thank you, Joel. And thanks to PDA and certainly to the election protection movement for bringing us together uh, to become more effective. First of all, to talk about relational organizing, the Atlanta NAACP uh, and our president, Richard Rose, took a look at where the Black votes were in the state of Georgia. And we identified initially 17 counties that represented 77% of the Black vote. We ultimately expanded it, and we ended up with about 80, 83%, 85% of black vote across 20, 22 counties. But the focus of that was it was those voters were across the entire state. And so we organized first, the Atlanta Atlanta NAACP took the lead and organized all of the NAACP branches in those counties around the state. We also knew that our black Greek organizations called the Divine Nine represented leaders in all of these local communities. And then another group uh, that uh, was not as widely known outside of the Black community, but, but a cornerstone of the Black community uh, is a group called the, the Masons, Prince Hall Masons. So we began to pull together those groups that are across the entire state in order to, in order to have leaders from those communities that could connect with local voters and be trusted messengers in those neighborhoods and cities and counties uh, to establish the vote. You've heard a lot from, from Andrea. Andrea was also a part of that team that, that uh, we came to know and with her uh, technology platform and, and, and strategy and what she was doing, we bound all of the, that together so that we created relationships among organizers, set aside ego, and started collaborating together, coordinating our activities and communicating. It started out every two weeks, got down to a week. And then by the time we were moving into uh, the election, two or three weeks out, we were meeting virtually every day. What that did was take us from, in 2020, it took us to uh, winning an election where it's in 2016, Trump won by 211,000 votes in Georgia. By 2018, Stacey Abrams lost to Kemp by 55,000. And of course, we know that uh, Biden won Georgia with 11,779 votes. 
We also, as has been alluded to already, were then able to go back to the polls using these same uh, get out the vote tactics that were localized and innovative in the way that we, we, we work in the middle of a pandemic uh, to be socially distant and, and bring these communities together. We were able to return 95% of black voters to the polls for the runoff that had voted in the general. That's an unprecedented number for, for a runoff, which typically drops by 50% and sometimes more. So the critical thing was we coordinated, collaborated, and communicated effectively. That made us much more efficient hey, and much more effective. Uh, one minute, thanks. And then the, 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 the getting back to the Center for Common Ground and that technology, what that allowed us to, to do was to take our, our relational organizing strategy and use the technology from Center for Common Ground and put it on steroids, so to speak. So all of those efforts, those investments year round have are what made the difference. And that is critical to being successful in 2022. We don't have the, we are not uh, of the narrative here in Georgia that is talked about commonly nationally. We were able to put almost 50 progressives into office in November of 2021. That was not commonly talked about because of this type of strategy. We need, to, we need to continue to rely on that as we move into 2022. Fantastic. Thank you, yeah, round, round of applause. And um, Dr. Reverend Ray McClendon, you need funding, correct, in order to expand the Georgia way to other Crescent Southern states, is that correct? Well, well, what Andrea and I are working together on now is to, to as I said, to take the re relational organizing that we chronicled in the Georgia way and then use her, to her extraordinary technology platform and democracy centers and put that strategy on steroids. What do I mean by that? Uh, we know, as an example, that we're going to continue to have voter suppression. But an even more insidious strategy and tactic right now um, that you all know is the takeover of local election boards. Though we have partisans now that are borrowing into those, those boards all across the state of Georgia. Look at it this way. When Trump called the Secretary of State in Georgia, he asked him to find 11,780 votes, one more than Biden had. There are 159 counties in Georgia. All he needs is for a local election board in each county to find 100 votes. And he'll have more than enough in the next election to reverse an election. So what we have now is a, an insurrection that is occurring at the local level. We must invest in local education information, give the local people the tools that they need. We were just down with many people in Lincoln County, Georgia, just this past week, where they are moving to go from seven uh, uh, polling locations down to one, from seven to one, which will disenfranchise our votes. So you take local election boards that can change the polling places, make it more difficult, and then they can also determine which votes they will count and which they won't count. It will be very easy to see how what Trump tried to get away with in 2020 could become a fait accompli in 2024 if we do not act locally now. Thank you, Brother Ray. Uh, by the way, just round of applause for Ray and Andrea Miller. They're, they're a very scary combination. <laughs> Thank you very much. Pardon? How do we get a hold of Ray? How do we get a hold of Ray? Ray, will we put your uh, 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 contacts in the chat. I believe Ray's going to do that. Good. We've got Andrea. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Yeah. Um, excellent presentation, Ray. Um, thank you for all that you do to defend democracy especially in Georgia. Next, we have the incomparable, my best friend, 
the Reverend Dr. Sadler, distinguished professor at Union Presbyterian Seminary. Rodney, are you here? I'm right here, my brother. How are you? I'm good, white beard. <laughs> you've, you've grown it out since I've seen you. Uh, yeah, when when are you growing yours? When are you growing yours, Joel? I'll talk about that offline. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rodney is, um, is a PDA advisory board member. Um, he is a distinguished professor at U Union Presbyterian Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, considered one of the foremost scholars of the Old Testament. I've taken his classes so I can testify that it's all true. Um, he's also the um, director of the Center for Social Justice and Reconciliation um, at Union Presbyterian and a new reimagining um, America project where Rodney took the model um, of Mandela, the truth and basically, you know, racial justice reconciliation process. And he's doing it not only in Charlotte, but all across the nation. So Reverend Sadler, welcome. We've been arrested together. He also taught me how to be arrested in Washington, D.C. when we were blocking Mitch McConnell's office when they were trying to destroy Obamacare. Um, thank you for teaching me how to be arrested. He's also a very close confidant to Reverend William Barber. Brother Rodney, how is voter suppression right now, in your opinion, a continuation of Jim Crow and a clear manifestation of structural racism by President Trump and the Trump wing of the Republican Party, which is quite significant. Thank you, Rodney. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that question, Joel. I think that what we're looking at now is a, uh, a reimagination of a schema that seemed to work in the past, and that's to disenfranchise black and brown voters, to disenfranchise uh, a cluster of people who may not vote as the majority or as uh, those who are in power. Now it's no longer majority, uh, and that's probably why it's ramped up again, how they want to, to, to control the vote. So what we see taking place is uh, gerrymandering of districts. We find uh, attempts to undermine the amount of time that people are able to vote, the way that they're able to vote. Uh, all of these different strategies that are very much reminiscent of what was being done before the Voting Rights Act was passed. As a matter of fact, we see the reaction in the immediate aftermath of uh, uh, Shelby versus Holder. We saw the way how quickly in North Carolina, the, literally the next day, they put in place what Dr. Barber called the monster disenfranchisement, uh, voter disenfranchisement bill. Uh, it really went into play the next day because people were waiting to find a way to uh, begin to shift the way that elections take place. In essence, what's going on is an undermining of people's basic humanity. In America, we believe that every human being uh, that is eligible to vote has the right to vote and they should not be in, comp uh, in, in any way impeded from being able to vote. Uh, but what we see going on is uh, the undermining of the value of people's souls, taking away their vote from them, taking away their ability to participate in the larger system of governments in this democratic society. In essence, what it's saying is that certain people in our society are not worthy of a vote. Uh, their votes count less than other people's votes, just because their skin is darker, uh, just because of the region where they live. We saw this as uh, Trump was trying to, to uh, both in Georgia and in places like Pennsylvania, try to determine whose vote should count. Uh, can we get more votes here just to sort of offset uh, that which was put in by this larger black and brown urban populations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We need to stand up against this. And we need to realize that this is not a problem for black and brown communities. This is a problem for all progressive voters. If we realize that the largest constituency, uh, the most faithful constituency uh, of uh, democratic and progressive ideas it's black women. Uh, it's the black community that tends to come back most faithfully and support this. If we allow the black and brown community to be disenfranchised, it hurts us all. We need to stand up against uh, these uh, means of voter suppression, these means of shifting the electorate of electors determining who their electors will be. Uh, we need to begin to shift that back and we need to begin to work for something that's more just, more true, more faithful to what it says in our constitution uh, that we, uh, the national ideals that we talk about in our Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all human beings are created equal. Allowing voter suppression literally does undermine 
our equal rights as American citizens. So I really want to say that it's time for us all to stand up and step out and do this hard work that Ray was talking about, that Andrew was talking about, uh, making sure that everybody's vote uh, is heard, everyone's vote is protected, everyone's right to vote is respected, uh, and let's make sure that we fight for the rights of Black and Brown folks the way we'd fight for our own rights if they were under attack because the attack on Black and Brown votes is an attack on all of our votes. Thank you, Reverend Stadler. Quick follow-up question. You have been and are one of the leaders of the Poor People's Campaign, um, working with Reverend William Barber. Um, you helped organize thousands of people in the streets of Raleigh, protesting voter suppression and you know basic injustice that was promulgated in law by the Republican majority. You've seen the Black Lives Matter protest you were able to bring in tens of thousands of people to Raleigh. I was there. Don't we need to do the same thing with voter suppression? Oh, Don't I we need to do civil yeah, disobedience? Yeah. Don't we need to march? Don't we need to remember Martin King and his tradition? How else are we going to deal with voter suppression in a Senate that won't even pass the John Lewis bill? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is I, I, I don't want to take credit for the Poor People's Campaign. That's Dr. Barber. That's Liz Theo Harris. They've done a fine job with that. I'm grateful for the work that they do uh, and continue to do. Uh, they are remarkable, and they're leading the charge, I think, in so many ways across the country for a poor people's movement that will bring people together to address these issues. Now, as we talk about this, I think you're right, Joel. We need to be active not just in the streets, as you mentioned, but also in the suites. We have to make sure that we are utilizing every tactic we can to ensure that all Americans not just are able to vote, but know that they need to get out to vote. Uh, it's not just registering new voters that we need to do. It's inspiring people who are already registered to get out there and vote. It's restoring confidence in democracy. It's making sure that people have a, a sense of the need to participate. Uh, one of my good colleagues, uh, former mayor of a city right next to Charlotte, Belmont, North Carolina, uh, he says that we, we need to make voting mandatory. It should be something that's obligatory. You know, I've struggled with that for a while. What does that mean? But I see what he's talking about. We, if we want to hold on to the promise of democracy, we need to all recognize that we have a role to play. And if we fail to play our role, then Trumps are inevitable. If we fail to, pay, to play our role in protecting the right to vote, if we fail to play our role in getting out there and actively voting, if we fail to play our role in inspiring others to vote, then we forfeit our access to democracy. So it's time for us to, as you said, Joel, get out in the streets, have a national movement that inspires people to get to the polls and vote, that works against gerrymandering, that works against all sorts of voter suppression tactics, and that truly does remind us of our obligation as citizens of this experiment in democracy. We must participate if we want this democracy to continue. Sorry, Dr. Sadler. Um, yeah, just time to wrap up. Thank you so much. That was amazing, as usual, and always. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you for doing great timekeeping tonight. Um, thank you. Thank you, Brother Sadler. I'll be seeing you soon. Our next distinguished speaker is none other than Mayor Jennifer Roberts. Jennifer, are you with us? I am here, Sir Joel. Hello, Sister Mayor Jennifer Roberts. Brief introduction, we went to high school together and college together. Um, former mayor of Charlotte, North Carolina, three-time chair of the county commission, probably one of the most progressive mayors in the nation uh, because of her, her courage on LGBTQ matters, the right wing did everything they could to um, throw her off her game, but you know what, never happened. Um, but Mayor Roberts, you know, welcome. And I'm gonna ask you a few questions because you are one of the national leaders of election protection. First question is, since you've been working with the Carter Center, why is the Carter Center started working within the United States on election integrity and supporting democracy? Don't they usually work overseas? Yeah, that's a terrific question, Joel. And it's very telling because since President Carter left office, 
He founded the Carter Center to help support democracy around the globe. And they have monitored dozens of elections in Asia, Latin America, Africa, and they have seen what happens when democracy fails. They recognize the signs when authoritarianism takes over. They recognize the signs when people are prohibited from participating. And in 2020, the experts in the Carter Center saw that happening in the US. And so they joined uh, this, um, this initiative late in 2020. Those of you in Georgia may have seen them involved in the Senate elections uh, trying to establish the norms of democracy uh, and support them and get peer pressure and get public opinion to support nonviolence and respect for the basic uh, tenets of democracy, which is allowing people to vote, counting the votes, being transparent and accepting the results. They were able, by the way, to get both of the Democratic candidates to sign a pledge, a code of ethics, but they could not get the Republicans to sign on. So in 2022 and 2024, they are continuing this work. And I put in the chat um, a link to an op-ed by President Carter, which he lays out five things that need to happen. And um, you know we need to have common uh, universal agreement on the basic tenets of democracy, which is not gerrymandering, which is not voter suppression, uh, which is not intimidation. We want to get candidates to sign on to a basic code of ethics, both for the way elections operate and the way their campaigns operate, the way they train their workers not to intimidate, be aggressive, and chase people away from, from voting. Um, we also need to have reform of our laws and our legal system. That's a long term. We have counter-majoritarian structures with the Electoral College and the U.S. Senate because we know there are 40 million more Democrats yet we have a split Senate. We also need to resist polarization. And this is why I love what Andrea talks about in the rural outreach, because we don't need to have a rural urban divide. We need to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and bring them into the voting process to understand the impact of their vote and their engagement in democracy. The fourth thing he talks about is protecting our election workers, our elected officials from violence by telling candidates and, camp and officials, you need to call out violence when it happens. You need to talk, you need to um, uh, send the message of nonviolence. That's the way that we get change in America and across the world. Nonviolence, if you resort to violence, you hurt your cause. And so we need to message that. And then finally, um, we need to monitor disinformation. Uh, the Carter Center has done, I'll put this in the chat as well, they did a study of the big lie and big tech, and they found that unreliable sources were five times as likely to have their information spread as reliable sources. And they were also uh, less effective at shutting down those sites fast enough. So there are many things that we can do. The Carter Center is operating in, um, with this initiative in North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Arizona, and hoping to spread to Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin as well. Um, these are battleground states. Uh, our democracy is in danger. Fantastic. Mayor Roberts, um, what does the Carter Center see that worries them about U.S. democracy? Voter suppression, gerrymandering, you talked about that violence and intimidation. What methods do they plan to use to bolster democratic norms? Who's leading One this minute. initiative? <laughs> <laughs> One minute. Okay. I'm going to talk really fast. So what we, we, all, we all can play a role. Uh, we want candidates to sign a pledge of ethics. We want to call them out. We want to write op-eds. We want to write our um, officials. We want to be present and vocal and in the streets if needed in a nonviolent way. But we need to engage. Um, we need to be transparent in elections. We can all help monitor what goes on. We can all help support those officials who are doing it so they can do it in the, we can support campaigns that are not intimidating. We can reach out to rural voters. Um, the Carter Center is gonna be working on some messaging that we can all share about nonviolence, about democratic norms, about holding candidates and campaigns accountable to the basic tenets of our democracy. Thank you, Mayor Roberts. Um, great presentation. Um, I remember in, in the 80s, 
whether it was uh, Nicaragua or other Latin American countries, where the Carter Center would send monitors time. to monitor the elections. It's time that, whether it's the Carter Center or DOJ, it's time to monitor our own elections here because what is the difference? So um, just thank you so much. Go ahead. I'll put my email in the chat for anyone who wants to contact me to learn more about this Was work. there an Adam? Was there an Eve? Or did we evolve from what we conceived? Either way, we got what we needed when the sun shone down on the Garden of Eden.